this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. My name is Alex. I'm the pastor here. And we are stepping into a teaching series we kicked off last week called Waymaker. Um, if you listen to Christian radio, you may have heard a song that's called Waymaker. Anybody heard that song? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. So in this series, we're actually stopping and saying, you know what? We serve that God. He is a waymaker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. He is a light in the darkness. And as I said last week, what exactly is a waymaker? Well, a waymaker is someone who makes a way. I know, it's profound, it's crazy, but I think in life sometimes we come to places where we lose hope. We don't know if life is going to get any better. We feel like we've hit a dead end. We don't know how we're gonna move forward, but I'm just here to tell you that no matter where you're at in life, God can make a way from where you're at to his destiny. There's nothing that you've done that has ruined God's best for you. He has a way to restore you and to get you back onto the right path. And so I just wanna encourage you, no matter what your past may be, no matter what you've gone through, God is a way maker. And it's so good because sometimes he, as an infinite God with incredible power, sometimes invades our natural world with his supernatural. And when that happens, it is a miracle. We don't know how it's going to happen, but all of a sudden God can show up and change things in which there's a way forward. So last week we looked at this story about a man who'd never walked before. And he'd heard about Jesus being in town, but he had no way to get there because his legs didn't work. But he has some people. Some people said, you know what? I want to get you to Jesus. And so they picked this man up, which I don't know if you've ever carried a body before. I hope that you haven't, especially if it was in the trunk of your car. But you, it's hard. You know, you hear about the, just the dead weight of a body. Well, his body ain't working, and they decided to pick him up. I mean, this is a labor of love. I don't know how far they had to move him, but they encountered some obstacles as they tried to get to Jesus. One, the crowds were so big, they couldn't get in to see Jesus, but they didn't give up. They persevered. They believed that if they could just get their friend in front of the way maker, that somehow or another, God would make a way for this person to experience more in this life. And so they couldn't get into the house that Jesus was in. And so they figured out, you know what, if we can't get through the people, let's figure out how to get this body on top of that house. Now, this is some creative ingenuity here. I don't know how they did it. They didn't probably have time to set up a pulley system. I don't know how they they throw them up there. I don't know how they did it, but they got the guy's body on top of the structure. And then they didn't stop there. They went into a deconstruction process. They began to remove tiles. They began to tear the house apart to lower their friend in front of Jesus. And when he got there, what did Jesus do? Well, of course, Jesus allowed the guy to walk. But more importantly than that, he healed him spiritually. He allowed there to be something more than just a physical healing that took place. He was given something that would last for eternity. God saved his soul. And so no matter who you are, where you're coming from, if somebody brought you to church, they might be trying to be that person to bring you to Jesus who is a way maker who can provide a way forward for you in life. So today we're going to look at another story, and every week we're looking at a miracle story of Jesus. And as I said last week, sometimes we read the story and there's some things we pick up the first time through, but on a second pass, there's some things that we sometimes miss. And in the story of the lame man last week, we see that he got healed, but we sometimes forget that he received God's forgiveness. 
And he's to carry that forgiveness with him into the world. And Jesus told him to take up his mat and take it with him. He's supposed to take the story of what God did with him. So today we're going to look at a story in John chapter 9. All right. So if you want to jot that down, if you've got a phone, if you charged it and it's got the Bible app, you can open it and follow along. If you're online, uh, definitely get a Bible out because you're not going to see the verses. If you said, I didn't bring a Bible, it's cool. we got technology. I will put the verses on the screen for you. We're going to read from the New Living Translation today. Uh, but before we get into that, I'm going to let you know a little something about me. You may or may not know this, but I wear contacts. Every day, I wake up and I can't see. And I stumble into my bathroom, and I put these two little pieces of plastic in my eyes, and whoa, I can see. And so I have what they call being nearsighted. So with no contacts, no aid, I can read. I just get it real close. I can see it. It is high def. But then, the further it gets away, the, the more standard def it becomes. It becomes blurry. It's out of focus. I can't, I mean, I can still see the colors. I can see the shapes. It just loses definition. And the problem with having poor eyesight is that you don't know you have poor eyesight most of the time. So for me, it was fourth grade. And I realized that the teacher was apparently writing things on the board. I didn't know that. I just heard the sound of chalk on the board. How many of you guys remember chalkboards? That was before dry erase? Yeah. Back in the day, you had to go clean those erasers. It was horrible. Um, that's probably why we have lung issues today. Uh, and so, so I realized, like, I think that there's something going on up there that I don't realize. And so I would end up walking by, and I would see all of these words up there. And so I told my parents, I was like, I don't... I don't know if my eyes are working very good. And so it's that first optometrist appointment. You got to go see the eye doctor. And nobody likes seeing the eye doctor because the whole thing is an exam and I hate tests. And this is a test you don't want to fail because if you fail this test, who knows what they're going to put on your face. And so you get in there and it's weird and it's dark, you know, and it's just kind of him and you. And, and there's one moment in the, the eye exam uh, that I used to hate. It was when they would like set you in front of that machine and they're like, you have to keep your eyes open. We're going to put a puff of air in your eye. And you're just like stressing out, like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And then it hits you. And I think back like 20 years ago, I think they had it dialed a little high. Because I remember it was like, a, oh, I hated it. Now I go and it's like, it's like, this is nothing. Why was I stressed about this? But they do that little blow in the eye test. I hate that. And then my favorite part, and as a fourth grader, I remember laughing. And then as a high schooler and as an adult, I still have this moment in which the doctor, remember he has that one thing that he holds up and he puts it in his eye and he gets like super close to you and it's got a light in it. And he says, hey, I want you just to look over there. And it feels like he's just creeping in with this light right here in your eye. And it's like, he just keeps getting in and it keeps getting and you can't look at him. You're supposed to look at the wall, but you know, and you sense, and you feel his breath, and you wish he had had a tic-tac. And it's every time I crack up, I just lose it. I'm like, that's just too funny, too funny. So fourth grade, I, I get glasses, and it's that moment where all of a sudden I can see. I didn't know I couldn't see, and it, it, all of you have glasses. You remember when you first got them? You like pull them up. You're like, oh, this is what I was living like. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and everything you do is like, I don't know how I was living without eyesight. But, but here's something you can jot down. You don't know you can't see until you know you can't see. Like, it's like a revelation. It's like, what? I didn't know I couldn't see, but I couldn't see. And so you get glasses, and 
And, and, and I eventually, I wanted contacts, but they said, you need to wait, all right? You need to wait till you're a little bit older for the health of your eyes or something. I don't even know if that's true, but that's what my parents told me. So here we go. So uh, I got like the upgraded prescription because I wanted to do sports, you know, and so we got the sports goggles. Anybody remember those bad boys? Yeah, Horace Grant, let's go. If you're a Chicago Bulls fan, you know who I'm talking about. And so I had the goggles, you know, but then finally at high school, they gave me contacts. And contacts were revolutionary. I don't know if you know this, but like when you wear glasses, you just get used to looking through this space. But all this under here is still your old eyesight. And all this up here is your old eyesight and your peripherals there. And so you just find yourself, you just always turn your head. You do it unconsciously, but everything you see through these lenses is good, but you just kind of ignore this. But when you put contacts in, it's all in focus. There's nothing to look through. It's just, ah, oh, this is awesome. It's amazing. But then, here's what happened to me. Some time went by, and apparently my eyes got worse, and I didn't know it. And so I just had my old prescription, and it was way better than it was when I had no glasses, no contacts. But then I remember coming out of the eye doctor appointment with a new pair of contacts and a new prescription. And it was like seeing high definition again for the first time. It was the craziest thing. You guys remember like 10, 15 years ago when 3D movies came out? I remember going to see an avatar and my mind being blown. It was like, whoa. That's how I felt walking out of the eye doctor. Everything was so clear. I remember as we backed away from the office, uh, the eye doctor's office, I was looking at the roof and you could see every shingle and they were separate and they were different and they were different heights and they had little pebbles on them. It was mind blowing. It was like 4K TV, but in real life. And I remember looking at my mom like, do you see that roof? And she's like, what are you talking? about. It's a roof. And I'm like, but you don't understand. It's different. And everything had new clarity. So today, what we're going to talk about in John chapter 9 is a guy who actually had a vision problem. But unlike me, it wasn't just kind of an impaired vision. This guy actually had never seen. The Bible says that he was born blind. And, and I don't know, maybe I live in a sheltered world, but I have never personally met anyone who was born blind blind, that they could never see their entire life. And in the rabbit hole of things that I did this week, I found a YouTube channel by a guy who was born blind. And it was so interesting because he tried to draw things, but he'd never seen it before. So he tried to draw a cat, but he just had only to go on what he had felt before. He tried to draw himself. And, and I'm just going to tell you, blind people are not good at drawing. It was really pretty bad, but it was fun watching, you know, and, and thinking about what it would be like to be born blind. And so I realized, you know, as I stopped and thought about it, I know some people who have like some visual impairments, like they don't see good. Um, you know, uh, maybe they, they have lost some vision in one eye um, or maybe they're, they're quote legally blind, but they can still see some things. But I don't know anybody in my life who's truly blind. And when I stop and I think about somebody who's blind, everybody think of a blind person right now. By a show of hands, how many of you thought of Ray Charles? Just real quick. Yes, yes. If you didn't think of Ray Charles, how many of you thought of Stevie Wonder? Yep, yep, there's the rest of you. Okay, I don't know what it is. All I know is blind musicians, that's it. Uh, Jose Feliciano, Feliz Navidad, come on. I wish you a Merry Christmas. So all I can think of is those, and then of course, Helen Keller. How many thought of Helen Keller? Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of Helen Keller jokes, but I'm gonna refrain, because my dad taught me one, and I just can't repeat it in church, because it's bad. Yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm be good here. All right, so, so, so there is people who are blind, and, and it's a challenge. It doesn't mean that they aren't talented, they aren't gifted. It just means that they can't see. And so on our story, we have this guy who was born blind. And so as we start to look at John chapter 9, 
If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. Um, before I share this, let me just say this, and I've shared this before with you. I'm not what you would consider an avid reader. Like, if there's a movie and a book, just give me the movie. Let's just get that over with. And some of you are like, no, the book's way better. Maybe. Don't care. The movie, it's just great. I passed book reports in high school on movies. I was paying attention to those characters. I was doing it. Not encouraging that with your young people, but... <laughs> But I'm not much of an avid reader. I was talking to my cousin Natalie not so long ago, and she's like, I gotta be careful, because if I pick up a book too late at night, then I get caught up in the book, and then all of a sudden it's midnight, and then it's one, and then it's two, and I just can't put it down. And in my head, I'm like, I have never in my entire life had that experience. <laughs> if I wanna go to sleep faster, you know what I do? I grab a book. <laughs> I will get to sleep in a hurry. So this idea of like getting caught up in the book and then all of you book people are like, well, you've just probably been reading the wrong books. No, I tried your book. It wasn't that good. I fell asleep too. It wasn't my thing. But I had this experience years ago and I couldn't believe it. It was the first time I got caught up reading a story and I couldn't put it down. And it was actually in the Bible. And it was actually the chapter we're reading today. It was the first time the story was so mind-blowing to me. I was like, I gotta finish this. This is this is exciting. And I kept reading and kept reading. So I hope today that you will get as engaged with this story as I was. Uh, by the time we get to John chapter 9, in the book of John, Jesus has already performed five miracles in front of his disciples. He already turned the water into wine at the wedding. He healed a, a government official's son. He healed a man who couldn't walk. He fed 5,000 people which they say are men, and there's probably women in church, so there's probably even more. He fed the masses, and then he even has walked on water. And his disciples, his posse, have seen all of these things happen. They tasted the wine. They saw the guy stand up. They were freaked out on the boat with the ghost on the water that was Jesus. They ate the food. Like, they are with the way maker. They're with the miracle working God. Like, this is our God. And so as we begin the story, these guys have seen and witnessed some amazing things. And so in our story, they're in this town of Jerusalem. And as they're moving about, here's what it says. Verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Who saw the man? Jesus did. Number one today, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. I mean, Jesus is walking with his disciples. They're going to start talking here in just a moment. And, and he's got people around them. And if I was one of the disciples, I would think, man, I want to see Jesus do something crazy, incredible again. I want to see it. And so I, if I was a disciple, I'd have been paying attention. I'd be like, there's a blind guy right there. I ain't seen Jesus heal a blind guy. This is the chance. This, I, and I would be like encouraging Jesus to notice the blind man. But the Bible doesn't say that it was the disciples that pointed this man out. I think it's incredible that Jesus, with a posse of people around him, following him, listening to his teachings, that he is mindful of a blind man. Jesus sees him. And Jesus sees you. No matter what your story is, no matter what you've gone through, you may feel like God's so far away. My prayers don't seem to go anywhere. Listen, Jesus sees you. He sees your pain. He sees the struggle. He sees the ailment that doesn't seem like is ever going to be healed. He sees the blind man. He sees him. Know this, Jesus' eyes are on you. 
and he loves you. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Verse number two, rabbi, which means teacher, his disciples asked him, rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? <laughs> this is so like the disciples, right? Instead of saying, hey, rabbi, will you heal this man? That would have been a good question. They're like, hey, let's, let's go ahead and have a moral theological conversation about why this man is blind. How about that? And we'll just do it right in front of him. The blind guy's not deaf. He's hearing this. Jesus is here. No, no, hey, why do you think this guy's blind? Uh, Jesus, who do you think we should blame for this guy's blindness? Was it his fault? Did he do something bad? Like, did he sin like while he was in the womb? Did he do something he shouldn't have done and he got born blind? Is that what happened, Jesus? Or, oh, I bet it's an Old Testament thing. It's the sins of the parents that were passed down to the children. Ah, Jesus, was it the parents who sinned? Is that why he was born blind? Now, I'm so glad Jesus is patient. He's kind. Like he, he doesn't like get after these guys. But, but he understands something that maybe you and I don't is that in that day, there were other rabbis, there were other teachers. And here's what they taught. They taught that there is no suffering without some type of iniquity. They taught that everything in life is a cause and effect. A little bit kind of like karma. If you do something good, something good's gonna come. If you do something bad, something bad's gonna happen to you. And so there was this belief among the Jewish leaders that if you had something like blindness from birth, then it's your fault. You must have sinned in the womb or in some pre-existent state of your soul or your parents sinned. There's someone to blame for why you are the way you are. And, and I think it's so funny that the disciples only give Jesus two options. I always hated that, don't you? Like when somebody asks you a question, you only have two options and neither option's the right one. Like, oh, and we're gonna put you in our box. You gotta pick one of these two. Jesus, don't go in boxes. So Jesus, he says this in verse three. He says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now, we do need to be careful with this verse because some people wrongly read this and believe that God made the man blind so that one day when Jesus is walking through town, he could heal him and give God the glory. That's not what this verse is saying. Instead, what Jesus is doing here is he's moving this conversation from who should we blame, the parents or the guy, to an opportunity. That there's an opportunity that we have here for God to do something in this man's life. See, there's some people who prefer to live as a victim to their past, and they want to blame their parents, they want to blame their situation, they want to blame their upbringing, and maybe you're in that place that you find yourself blaming, but look, God's not looking for you to blame, he's looking for you to see the opportunity that he's bringing to your situation, that there's a new way forward, and that there's a new way to look at this, and it's not one of blame, and it's not one that the whole world's seen, I want to show you a different way. And so Jesus continues and he says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Don't miss the beginning of verse four. It doesn't say that I must quickly carry out the tasks that I've been assigned. He says we. 
This isn't just the Jesus assignment. This is a Jesus and his followers assignment. That includes us, that we who follow Jesus must quickly carry out the task of the one assigned to us, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and we're to do something while we're here. And the night is coming, and then no one can work, but while I'm here in the world, I'm the light of the world. Some of you might be like, but I want Jesus to be the light of the world today. Our world is looking really dark. It's not good. There's wars and rumors of wars and the morality and uh, our world looks horrible. But listen, I think that Jesus here is saying, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But I think he's also implying that, listen, I want my light to continue through you. That I'm not always going to be on the earth, but I want the light that I'm shining to shine through you. That is why we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us. And the light that Jesus brings and the light that we're to carry as Jesus followers is that of spiritual illumination. That those who are blind and can't see might see the light and realize, wow, I couldn't see before, but now I see. Now, while all this is going on, if you can imagine, you're the blind guy. You're hearing this conversation unfold. You're wondering, what's going on? Is there going to be healing? Is there going to be something? Is Jesus going to talk to me? What's going to happen? And so, without being able to see, here's what the Bible says, verse 6, then he, Jesus, spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Now, some of you, because we're reading the Bible, you think that this is okay. This is not okay. This is some weird behavior. This is not cool. All right, I remember in third grade, there was the kid who used to have his spit. This is a gross story, but it's about spit. And he would, he would let the spit dribble out of his mouth in a long string until it almost hit the desk. And then you know what he'd do? And he'd suck it back up. That is the grossest thing in the entire world. It's weird enough that we're drinking our spit right now. That's a weird thought. If you spit into a cup, would you drink it? No, it's so weird. So like when your spit leaves your body, you don't want nothing to do with it. And so Jesus, he is spitting, and I want you to know he is fully committed to spitting. Because I thought about this, how much spit does it take to make mud? This ain't a little bit of spit. Like we are hardcore, we are spitting. This is an amount of liquid enough to turn dirt into mud. And you're blind, and you don't know what's going on, but you hear Jesus. I mean, you got to be wondering, is this spit going to involve me in a moment? What is happening? This theological conversation has taken a turn. Then Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He is picking this dirt up. He is massaging it. He is turning what was dry into moist. And the blind guy ain't got no idea what's about to happen. And he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Poor guy didn't even see it coming. All of a sudden, there is a man who is touching your eyes, and no, wait, he's not just touching your eyes, it's moist, and it's wet. Jesus hasn't said anything to the man yet. He's just sitting there, and boom, mud on the eyes. What is going on? This is, 
This is unusual behavior. Jesus, what are you doing? And so for the first time, Jesus is going to say something to the man. Hey, man, go wash yourself in the pool of Shalom. And Shalom means sent. In other words, dude, you got some dirt on your face. You need to go clean it up. Now, if I was a blind man, if you were the blind man, I bet you ain't getting up and going to the pool. I bet you are ready to have some words. You are ready. If you could hit, you would hit, but you couldn't see what you were swinging for. You are not going to be happy about some guy putting mud on your face and saying, hey, why don't you go clean that up? What are you talking about? I ain't going. Somebody get me something. I need some help. And then Jesus isn't even kind enough to say, hey, you know, would one of my disciples who's not really named much in the Bible, would you go and help this man get to the pool of Shalom? He's sending a blind man on a task without GPS, without voice control to get to a pool to clean himself. What is going on? Why didn't Jesus help the man? Hey, why don't I help you to the pool? Why don't I send a disciple with you? Hey, why did I even put mud on your face so that now you have to go to a pool? What is going on, this poor guy? But, but this is so crazy to me, so incredible. He said to him, go wash yourself in the pool of Shalom. And so the man went. This man had some faith some trust that I'm going to obey him. But notice there's no promise of healing here. It's just mud on your eyes, go clean yourself up. Okay, I'll do it. Why? Just because the man said so. I don't know why. There's not a golden egg at the end. There's not something I'm promised. I'm just going because it was Jesus who told me to go. Hmm. So many times we want Jesus to give us an immediate fix for our problem. We pray and we want him to supernaturally come and fix the situation. But more times than not, God wants to put you into a process of change. And this blind man was sent on a process. Could Jesus have instantly healed his eyes? Sure. But Jesus is in this cooperative relationship with us. In which he doesn't just come and invade your space and fix you. He wants to enter into a process, and part of the process for this man was going and cleaning himself in the pool. And so the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. He's never seen Jesus. He's heard Jesus. Jesus has touched him. He can see now. He came back seeing. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to change your life. He wants to show you what it really means to be human. We have a way that we go about life. We have ways that we're wired and we think, but he says, no, I have a different way for you to think and to live. And I want to empower you with my spirit. I want you just to be led by your own thoughts and your greed and the culture around you. I got a new way for you to live. Now, I don't know in our story when the healing took place. Did it take place in the man's eyes when Jesus was in front of him? He just didn't know it because the mud was on his eyes? Did it happen when he was on his way to the pool? Did it happen when he actually washed? We don't know when, but we know that this man once, he was blind, but now he could see. So verse 8 says, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar they didn't know him as a blind man. They knew him as a blind beggar. Asked each other, hey, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? 
And some said he was, and others said, no, 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 I think that just looks like him. <laughs> what? No, I'm the man. Oh, that's what he says. He says, no, 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 that's me. I was that guy. I was the beggar. I can see, I don't know. I don't know. You don't really. You Maybe, maybe. I, I, I love this because like when God transforms your life, the people around you can hardly recognize you. Like God has done something in your life. And so they asked, they said, well, well who healed you then? Tell us what happened. And so he told them, he said, they, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes. And he told me, go to the pool of Shalom and wash yourself. So I went and washed and guess what? Now I can see. Oh yeah? Well, where is he now? Now, if I'm the blind man, listen, I didn't see him. <laughs> I went to the pool and I washed and I came back seeing. I don't know what he looks like and I don't know where he went. All I know is I can see. And so he says to him, I don't know. Verse 13, then they took the man. Oh, this is, this is great. He says, I don't know. Now they've got him by the arm and they're taking him who had been blind to see the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because it was on the Sabbath. Uh-oh, this is the day we're not supposed to have miracles. No work's supposed to take place on this day. And Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Uh-oh. You know, in their law, kneading dough was a forbidden work on the Sabbath. And, you know, kind of, he kind of like needed some stuff. He took that mud and he worked it in his hands. He violated the law. He's a sinner. Jesus messed up. He worked on the Sabbath. So apparently, this miracle happened on the wrong day of the week for these guys. And so they want to go to the Pharisees, who were the religious guys, and say, you know, what's going on here? So the Pharisees asked the man all about it. And so he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. He's getting really good at the story now. See, he's getting a little more condensed. He's got it. He's got his testimony written. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. It just can't work. You can't be a sinner and be from God. You can't be working on the Sabbath. He's not from God. But others said, but but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? And so there was a deep division of opinion among them. And then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? Now, I feel like you got to be kidding me. I was blind and now I can see. Like I came out of the pool and I'm seeing people for the first time. I'm seeing the sky in clouds. I'm feeling the sun on my face. It's bright out here. I'm seeing things I've never seen before. And you're asking me where Jesus is and now you've taken me and I'm having to have a conversation with religious people. I bet he's still just checking things out. You know, wow, this is what my hands look like. Whoa, fingernails that have never been trimmed because I was blind. He's looking at everything like, this is so incredible. But these guys, they won't let him be. Hey, go get the guy. Tell him, come on, come on, tell us again, you know, what, what you think. What's your opinion about the man who healed you? And I'm sure he's throwing his hands up in the air like, I don't know. He, he must be a prophet. He's got to be from God, Right? The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind. Now they're not even believing he was ever blind. What? So they called in his parents. That's what you do. These are like the principles of the day. Well, we'll settle this. We're going to get your parents in here. We can't trust this guy. So, so they bring the parents in for questioning. And who knows how long this took? Like, where were they? What were they doing? 
you know, all right, stay here, new guy. I'm sure he's like, fine, I'm going to check some stuff out. Look, <laughs> they get the parents there. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? And his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now, his parents said this because, well, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who would announce that anyone who said that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. In other words, I kind of like my church. I don't want to get kicked out. And so that's why they said, he is old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they went and got the blind guy who's been checking out the world with his new eyes. And they called him in and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that the man Jesus is a sinner. And the man replied, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I know this. I was blind and now I can see. Like, I love this guy. He's not letting anybody steal the joy from him. He's not, you know. If I was him, I'd be like, have you seen women? I've seen them for the first time. This is incredible. I'm going to start dating. And so he doesn't, he's not worried. But the Pharisees, they keep pushing him. Verse 26, but what did he do? How did he heal you? I love verse 27. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? At this point, he doesn't care if he's getting kicked out of the church. He's so excited he can see. And then the religious people, this is so funny. Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. At which I think Moses was in heaven saying, hey, don't bring me into this. <laughs> I'm on team Jesus. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man, Jesus, comes from. Well, that's very strange said the blind guy who's been healed. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he's from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. That's not really true, but that's what the man believed. Verse 32, ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone blind. This has never happened in all of history. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And this Set them off. You were born a total sinner, they answered him. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. But don't miss this. Verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he heard, man, those Pharisees are getting after him. He just keeps saying, I was blind, now I can see. He's like, you want me to become disciples? They're like, no. They're just using bad words in church. They kicked him out. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. Number three today, Jesus is pursuing you. He heard this and he went on a mission. I'm going to find that man. I don't know where he is. It was the first time Jesus played hide and go seek. I'm going to go find him. I don't know where he's at, but I'm going to find him. Where is that blind man? Where is he at? I want to find him. Can you imagine? Like Jesus put this mud on the guy's eyes. He left, went to a pool. Jesus moved on with his day. 
Like he just continued on. All this drama and stuff's happened with the Pharisees. They're creating the stir. Jesus isn't even there. But somehow or another, this stir was such a big deal that the word spread and got back to Jesus. That the, Remember that guy that you put that mud on his eyes? Yeah, he's seeing now. I don't know if you knew Jesus. And now, like, he's having all sorts of issues with the Pharisees. Jesus heard it. And he found the man. And he asked him, he said, do you believe and the Son of Man? The man said, well, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Well, you've seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. The man whose eyes have been opened are looking into the eyes of Jesus for the first time, and he's finding out and a progression of faith from this man healed me to he must be a prophet to I believe he must be from God to him standing in front of him saying, I am God, I am. And the man said, yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Friends, there's a double miracle in this story. There's the miracle of sight, but there's also the miracle of insight. He got his eyes but he also had the revelation that this is the Son of God. Physical healing of the eyes, but a spiritual healing of the soul, and he embraced Jesus. And so Jesus then told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think that they can see that they are blind. Now, there happened to be some Pharisees standing nearby who heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? <laughs> They're still a little hot from earlier in the day. <laughs> and he said, if you were blind, well, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. In other words, you can't see until you know you're blind. As a kid, I didn't know I couldn't see until I realized I couldn't see. Jesus cannot help you if you think you're seeing clearly. It's not until you admit, I am blind, that God can open your eyes. As long as you're walking around thinking that you can still do it in your own power, God says, I ain't got nothing for you. I'm sorry. You've got to recognize your true condition. And once you recognize that you are truly blind, that's the only time he can bring healing to your sight. Jesus sees you. Jesus wants to change your life. Jesus is pursuing you. And the final point is this. Jesus wants his light to shine through you. The light didn't leave when Jesus left the earth, when he ascended back to heaven after his crucifixion and resurrection. No, no, no. That light was deposited into us, and we are to be a light on the hill. We're to allow his light to shine through us so that those who are blind in our world can say, we've seen a great light. We've seen Jesus and recognize that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is a way maker. As I've been thinking about this story all week long, I keep coming back to Jesus spitting in the dirt. Such a wild thing. 
kind of gross. But Jesus, who is God, is taking dirt. And for whatever reason, he's transforming the dirt. And he's allowing that dirt to become the, the vehicle, the conduit through which his healing is going to be transferred to this man. He could have used anything, but he used that. And I find that curious. And I know that Jesus would have memorized much of what we consider the Old Testament. He would have known the Torah, and he would have known that in Genesis that Moses wrote that God took the dirt and he breathed life into it. That in the very beginning, on day number six of creation, that man was formed from the dust of the earth. And that by the very hands of God, he took dust and he made it something to be a conduit for his healing to go to the world. And just as Jesus took this mud and applied it to his eyes, you and I are to be the mud. You and I are the dust of this earth that God has breathed into for his power and his light to go forth to every one that no one should perish. I want to be used by God. I want to be shaped and formed and empowered to allow his healing to flow through me to whoever it is that he puts me in front of. We are to be the light of the world. It may not be glorious being dirt but it's what we are. None of us are worthy. Don't think too highly. We just dirt. Got some God breath in us. But he wants to use you. He wants to use you. Would you bow your heads and allow me to pray for you? God, I thank you that we have these stories written down from when your son Jesus came to earth and as he lived, he lived this sinless life he lived and exampled for us spiritual truths that are things that we're just now beginning to get our head around. And God, I just want us as a body of believers that are here, God, if we are the blind man, God, would you help us to recognize our blindness and may we turn to you for sight? And Lord, if we've already made that choice, we've already stepped over the line of faith and received healing, we've received sight from you, I ask God that you would help us to be aware of the fact that you want to now use us as you did that blind man to champion the story that I once was blind, but now I see, and that we would allow you to form us and to use us to help others come to know you. I pray, Lord, that by our obedience, even when it doesn't make sense, as this man went to this pool of shalom with no promise on the other side, God, may we just do what you've told us to do, and God, may you take care of the results. Our job is just to take the next right step. And I pray, Lord, for each person here to have enough faith, to have enough trust in you to make that step. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. And God, I pray that you would prepare the world around us to receive your healing touch. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit New Life. KC.com.